Well, thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Free to Thinker podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. Sorry, no no bumper music today. I'm actually um, in a different location recording and getting everything set up, and I don't have any of my standard audio files to get it ready. So no bumper music. There won't be any transition music and no outro music. So if you like live for those things, sorry for that. The... Uh, the editorial quality and need to get this out was uh, a little bit more pressing. I wanted to get the content to you so that it's timely because I have Michael Jones uh, from Inspiring Philosophy on for this episode. Uh, he and I have both debated R and Ra in the past little bit, and we wanted to have a conversation um, about his debate, uh, the outcome of that, some of his uh, his post debate thoughts, um, some of uh, his his uh, his things that he maybe he didn't get to say or wanted to to say a little bit differently, and some of my thoughts as well on on uh, Aaron's arguments and statements and uh, some of the the Q and A things that arose. So I wanted to get this out in a timely manner because their debate just released, I think, this past Friday. So it's only been out for a couple of days, and I want it fresh in people's minds. So uh, sorry, wanted to get this out. And don't have time to go get all the audio files to put together. That was a long, that was a long, long apology, mea culpa. Uh, for that, let's just dive right into my conversation uh, on uh, the Michael's debate with Aaron Ra. Enjoy. All right. So thank you, Michael Jones, for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker podcast. How are you tonight? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I got to. You, you gave me a good excuse to, to leave work a little bit early today to miss the, the Los Angeles commute to get here. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, so why don't you talk, start off? I'm sure most of my listeners know who you are, um, but why don't you start off by just telling me a little bit about yourself and your uh, your channel? All right. Well, yeah, I run Inspiring Philosophy YouTube channel. It's a channel we're trying to build an apologetic video library. You have a video for every apologetic question out there. And it's not me as a talking head. It's I try to make them animated graphical video type things. All right. And what are some of your, your main topics? Oh, I like everything. <laughs> so I've, it's true. I've done New Testament reliability, resurrection argument, a lot of different arguments for God's existence, including some newer ones like the digital physics argument. Uh, I'm currently starting a series on Genesis, so I'm going up through that. I'm doing other series on addressing Jesus mysticist claims, so everything. Yeah, yeah. you have a great series on uh, on Bible contradictions that uh, I, I, I pretty much give out to anyone that starts asking those types of questions. So uh, yeah. you definitely have a, a lot of really, really helpful videos, uh, a lot of helpful content out there. So, But you're not actually here for any of that content from your channel, ironically. You are here because you and I have shared something special. We've shared something unique. <laughs> we have both commiserated maybe as too strong of a word because we, we both enjoyed ourselves. Uh, but you and I have yeah. both in the past couple months have had either one or multiple debates with online atheist pundit Aaron Ra. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, which, you know, and I, and I want to preface this and I, and I know you agree. We've had this conversation. Aaron's actually... I like Aaron. Aaron's a cool guy. Uh, yeah, I, he's a likable guy. Him yeah. and I were um, sharing a drink before our debate, and you know, he's he's likable. It's hard not to like him yeah. in person. Yeah, he's he's a likable guy, and I think uh, I think because he's so passionate and because he thinks our views are so stupid, um, he he can be he can be very blunt, very rough. But I found even even in listening back to the ones where like Aaron's a jerk. Uh, Unless he's dealing with like a young earth creation, if he's dealing with like a, a you know, a, a, what, someone like you or I that are in apologetics and kind of steeped in the literature and stuff, he's pretty respectful. He's 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 not mean or uh, he's not a jerk really at all, even even if he's passionate about it. Yeah, he gets very emotional and passionate into the arguments, but I don't think he comes across as mean. I think he tries to use the the, the power of his emotional talks to sort of like thrust confidence out there. Yeah. But no, I don't. I th I think unless he's dealing with someone who's like a young Earth creationist or a flat Earther, he's not typically mean. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Shout out, shout out to our friend uh, 
uh, Eric Hernandez who asked him a question and really and really set him off during your your Q and A time. But uh, yeah, no, that's no. going viral right yeah. now. <laughs> uh, besides that, so um, why don't you start off? I, you know, I, I've I've done a little bit of uh, of recap of my own debate. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your debate? What was the what was the the topic? What was the the affirmative and the and the and the negative? Uh, and how did it go? Do you think? Well, it was a debate. The debate was: Is Christianity dangerous? And I have wanted to debate him on this topic for years now. And so when the opportunity came up, I jumped on it. So I was extremely happy. And it went, in in my view, it went exceptionally well in my favor. Uh, he got up there and he did exactly what I expected him to do. He listed a bunch of examples of Christians doing bad things. Very little uh, peer-reviewed studies or data. He, the only two studies he listed I had already read and was prepared for. Uh, so I was ba- I basically had luckily predicted his entire argument on the onset not the specifics but just generally where he was going to go and then i just got out there and tried to counteract it as much as i can and the feedback i'm getting has been really positive it's been great i've even heard from some atheists who said i did better than our and actually won that debate so that was good to hear yeah i i got some i got some similar feedback i think um I'm not sure he knows quite what to do with people like you or I. I think he's I think he's far better equipped when it comes to young earth creationists and uh, and flat earthers. Uh, I would hope he'd be better with flat earthers than us. Um, uh, but, but so 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 the the debate the the question was is Christianity dangerous, right? And he's taking the affirmative, which means he has the burden of proof. What what would he have had to have demonstrated do you think in order to sustain his burden of proof? Well, it's actually quite simple. I would want a peer-reviewed study that says intrinsic religiosity is positively associated with X. And then he'd have to show the reason why this is positively associated in this study is because Christianity teaches this, and that's why you see this bad result in the study. I even outlined that in my debate towards the end. I said that's all Arn has to do, provide some sort of study, preferably in the form of a meta-analysis, that – Intrinsic religiosity is negatively associated with this, and then just explain how Christianity could be the cause of this. So it would have been a very easy debate for him to win if he just would have provided that data. Yeah, I agree. So let me lay out what I think his argument was. I'm going to try to do this as as charitably as possible. But I'm going to but I'm going to I'm going to hide. I'm not going to hide what I think are some of his hidden assumptions. This is this is what I think his argument was. Christianity has done bad things because Christians have done bad things. Christians have done bad things because the Bible gives them permission or excuse to do those bad things. And because Christianity demands them to have blind faith without any question, rationality, reason, or evidence to do it. So they must obey and do these bad things. Therefore, Christianity is dangerous. Do you think that that's that that's a fair summary of what his argument was? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we both could be wrong, but from watching numerous lectures he's given prior to this, that seems to be what he's trying to get at. Yeah. And what's what's uh, I mean, when when I watch it, there's so many question begging problems in that. And we we talked about this in my in my debate with him uh, and in my and in my uh, my conversation with him on his YouTube channel. Um, but you really, you really struck at the core of, of part of that, because even during the question and answer, when people are pointing out, oh, well, you know, science can be used for bad things. Therefore, science is dangerous. Atheism can be used for bad things. Therefore, atheism is like it, it, if you make it that banal of a thing where it, something can be used for a bad thing, therefore it's dangerous, then everything can be dangerous. I mean, someone can suffocate with a pillow. And so therefore, you know, who are you, why would you have a pillow in your house? Don't you know pillows can kill people? They're dangerous. Um, it, it's just not yeah, exactly. a good way to argue. And so to get around that, he, he, runs, he runs back to his normal thing, which is his definition of faith, his, his rather idiosyncratic definition of faith, which again, I'm kind of going on long here. I, I got a chuckle to myself when you, when you all started talking about uh, Peter Bogosian. Uh, and Peter Bogosian's definition of claiming to know what you know isn't true. And he says, hey, Peter Bogosian didn't know that. I invented that. I want to be like, Mark Twain <laughs> invented that back in like the 19th century. So no, you didn't. Um, well, in reality, I mean, that goes back to the devil's dictionary. Yeah. I mean, it was a satirical, it was it was a satirical dictionary. None of the def- 
meant to be taken seriously. So you you view missions for like liberals and you know or Democrats and Republicans, and they get to the definition of faith. But people took it seriously for some ridiculous reason, and now it's stuck in his head, and he can't get past it. Yeah, why did he gives a couple reasons for why he why he thinks that that faith is definitionally the religious sense is uh, belief without evidence or in the face of evidence as, as a virtue, right? Why, why do you think that he is so stuck on that definition? I think it's because it's from his own experience. He was, he has talked about this pastor friend he said, had who told him just keep believing it's Jesus until you, until you know it's true or something like that. And so he got this stuck in his head from his experience that that's what faith is. Now, to be fair to Aaron, a lot of Christians do say this is what faith is. I mean, they're very charismatic, and they're not very uh, intelligent when it comes to understanding hermeneutics or the Greek definition of pistis. But that's not what it's defined as in Christianity or in all of ancient works. So he's just stuck onto what some charismatic preachers say today and not what what scholars say, not what the New Testament actually says. Right. Which is always funny because he's like, no Christian has ever given me a different concept. And I was like, dude, I get, I gave it to you in our debate, and I gave it to you in our conversation afterward. I know you have. I've heard other people do it too. But be, but besides that, um, I think you're right. I think he has this idea that you know, in his in his 20 years of of history, not once has anyone ever you know uh, undermined this. Um, the the problem is, and, and tell me what you think about this. The problem is, is that I don't even think that. The average person in the pew um, really even means that, right? They might say something that comes across that, but when you push them, when they say something like, well, you just have to have faith in Jesus, right? When you actually start asking them why, they start giving their reasons. They start giving what they think is evidence. Now, that you know, they right. talk about personal experience. They talk about answered prayer. They talk about the you know internal witness of the Spirit. They talk about the reliability of the Scripture, right? They talk about these things now. Aaron might not think might think that those are not good evidence, right? Well, he might not think that they're that because he doesn't think evidence is anything, which is weird. He thinks data can't be evidence unless it's true and verifiable for the conclusion, <laughs> which is like like, like there goes out ju- jurisprudence. Um, but but he he might think that that's a bad. Those are bad things. Those aren't, those aren't good evidence. That's bad evidence. That's non whatever it is. But the average layperson, I don't even think means we, we just have faith without evidence. I think they mean you put trust in Jesus. Uh, you put trust in the fulfillment of his promises, even if you don't have direct empirical evidence that that promise is going to come true. Um, I, I think you're right on that. I, I think for some, it may not be true having dealt with Kenneth Copeland type people for a while in my past. Right. A lot of them actually treat it like the force, like they have some sort of magic powers they can use. But aside from those people, the, the most most people as you said are like they're going to cite maybe at some point they had they felt like the presence of God in their past or they got a sign from God. So they they cite personal evidence. You may think that's bad evidence, but they're not denying evidence. It's absurd to define faith this way. And even if Aaron's right that a lot of Christians do, that doesn't mean how it's def- that's, right. that is how it's defined in the Bible. Right. Why can't he just accept that when it comes to the ancient Greek word pistis, it means trust or confidence? I don't understand why he he cannot get past that. Right. Well, because he needs he needs that as as a pillar of his argument. Well, he needs that as a pillar of all his 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 attacks against uh, against Christianity. <clears throat> really, against all religions, he thinks they're all the same. Whether you read the, the you know the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or anything like that. Right, but it, it, people would have so much more respect for him if he just said, "Okay, Christian Christian faith, it, as it's defined in the Bible, doesn't mean rejecting evidence and reason. It just means trust or confidence in God." Fine, but still, a lot of modern Christians think that. I'd be like, "Okay, fine, I can agree with you on that," but or, it or, doesn't matter. Yeah, or even if he said, "Look, it." Fine. fine. The, the Bible enjoins you to, to have to have trust. and it, it has nothing to do with the quality of evidence. That's great that you, you all trust God. I just think you have crappy evidence for it. That right. would be perfectly, re- you know, I, I, I still don't think it's reasonable, but you know, that would be perfectly acceptable. That would be far more re- of a respectable of, a, of an objection. And ironically, would not give us so much fodder to easily dismiss. <laughs> right. We could actually have a better conversation. Right. 
but he can't get he can't accept this because he has to keep thinking that we just reject evidence and reason and it's like look if we can't get past this simple definition if i can't even define my own words you have to define them for me we're not going to get anywhere you're right right and, and he and he he hates it when when uh you know i had this conversation where we where i said look you can have your definition definition of atheism in the autobiographical sense where it just means a lack of belief that's fine but the instant you start saying that atheism is reasonable true evidence-based all these kind of things You've left that autobiographical sense and you've gone into the philosophical sense of the term. Um, and so you have these two concepts. I'll let you have that concept. That's fine. But the instant you start talking about it this other way, you've shifted concepts and we need to talk about that. Um, he hates that. He, he hates that disambiguation of concepts. And he does it with faith, too, because I could be like, OK, that's fine. You can have faith that way. But the instant you start talking about my belief you can't use that concept anymore. You have to use the concept that I mean when I'm talking about faith. And I don't mean faith in a, in a, in a epistemological category. I mean, faith as a volitional category um, where I'm placing my trust in action uh, in something um, because I trust them. I might trust them for bad evidence, no evidence, good evidence for good reason, bad reason. I might be horribly deceived, but how I come to that trust is 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 literally irrelevant definitionally to the fact that I that 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 faith trust just is that volitional decision uh, to place my trust and, and, and act in such an in such an accord. Right. And he almost got there, I thought, when I was in the cross examination section, because he agreed with me in an example I gave with yeah, him. The, the medical I said, exam- example. Right. I said, if I'm a doctor. And I said, you have cancer. And he says, well, I don't feel like it. I said, walk by faith in the medical advice I'm giving you, not by what you see. He agreed that wouldn't be denying evidence. But the moment I take out the phrase in the medical advice and I just say walk by faith, not by sight, immediately he shifts back to his other straw man definition. Right. And it's like, how do you not see the, the shift here? Right. He even said, you know, that, that's, you know that, that concept of faith as trust that is a definition of faith, but don't you dare tell me, or I hate when Christians <laughs> tell me that that's what they mean by faith, because that's not what they mean. And I want to be like, no, that's exactly what I mean. Uh, exactly. By faith. We're allowed to tell you what we mean. Yeah. If you want to tell me your atheism means a lack of belief, I'll be like, fine, whatever. I don't care. I'm not going to fight with you on your definitions. If that's what you mean by the term, I'll use it. Can you do the same for me? Right. No, why not? Right, right. Yeah, so... So, so going on from that, so, so you, you, you did a great job of pointing out um, the meaning of the word pistis, uh, you know, as, as trusted belief, as trust, as confidence, right? All, all these other ways, the way that it's, that's commonly used. One, one of the things that I found interesting is that you kept pointing this out. People questioning him kept pointing this out, and it never quite got through. And, I, and I've seen this. <laughs> I, I pointed this out to him. Other people pointed this out, all those kind of things, is that you can't point to a specific question, you know, a, a specific expression of Christianity and say that, therefore, Christianity does A, B and C. Right. For the same reason, I can I can point out, you know, the Democratic Party does A, B and C. But I couldn't say that, therefore, government <laughs> at large <laughs> does A, B and C. Right. Or leads to A, B and C or demands A, B and C. Right. So. So you you might you you brought up like the the extreme Pentecostals right the Kenneth Copelands the ones who might actually say that that faith just is belief without the evidence maybe even maybe it might even be more virtuous to them without the evidence but if we can go back and we can say look what what the scriptures which are the rule of faith for the Christian actually enjoin us to do actually tell us is pistis and what that means to the original authors then you can't say that that Kenneth Copeland just is the necessary uh, outcome of Christianity, uh, of, of all Christians, of all stripes, that that, that that is like the sine qua non of Christianity. Right. you got to actually show that Christianity causes that type of behavior. You just can't assume that's what it is. Correlation isn't causation. Right. It's like... It's like if I said, well, the, the Jacobins during the French Revolution who who implemented the government policy known as the reign of terror that's that's not what historians call it that's what the jacobins call it themselves yeah. if but they also call themselves humanists i can't say humanism caused that because there's a correlation there right. okay so you, you gotta but you know when you try to bring that up with secular humanists they go well that's not real humanism humanism can't cause that type of stuff i'm like yeah exactly now apply the same correlative co- correlative causal 
causal logic to Christianity, and you'll get the same argument. Right, right. But, but Michael, the Crusades, and and <laughs> and and we know that during the medieval period, Rome killed everybody. Right. I mean, it oh just, yeah, it was just blood to the hilt, killed everybody. Um, everyone was a witch and got killed. The Inquisition, you know, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition except in the Middle Ages because they're apparently everywhere. Um, what What's the problem with that? I mean, have you done have you done kind of some of the historical studies on, on those periods? Yeah, I've, I've read a little bit, not recently, but I, I have a book here called The Worlds of Europe, and it's a great book that just covers like from about the fall of the Roman Empire no, actually a little bit into the Roman Empire, but up to about the 1400s or so. And it really just sort of covers a lot of this. And this idea that the Catholic Church sort of, you know, had an iron fist and was throwing people in prison left and right is just absurd. I remember reading one story about a pope very early on when just after the, uh, the fall of the Roman Empire, like maybe within the first couple hundred years after the Roman Empire fell, a pope was on his way to the Vatican and he got attacked by a mob and was beaten and was you know, mutilated and thrown into a ditch. It's like the Catholic Church didn't have any type of power. They were always in fear for their lives. Like a different army would come and like hold the pope hostage left and right. There were Muslim invaders left and right that were attacking from the seas. It's like this is such a simplistic view of medieval history. It's almost sad. It makes historians cry. Right. It it my so my debate with him was on uh, has historic has Christianity historically been in conflict with science so I so I, I part of my research you know you you were going more towards um, you know the, the the sociological studies and the, the you know the benefits and and all that kind of intrinsic religiosity mine was geared more towards the historical interactions between the two um, and what's funny is. <laughs> So when, when you go through these time periods, you say, okay, the Crusades clearly was Christianity on a rampage. Um, no, it wasn't, actually. Uh, the, Christ, you know, the first crusade was called in response to, to basically uh, to, to Muslim warriors coming and, and sacking Jerusalem and, and slaughtering Christians. And take, I mean, it, it would really be like if America, uh, you know, sorry, if Canada was invaded by Russia and they just started slaughtering people wholesale. And so America responded. That was right. really the, crusade- the first crusade. Right. The Crusades were launched when Emperor Alexius of the Byzantine Empire called for help from the West. Yep. And this was unprecedented at the time because they, you know, they had their split and they weren't talking to each other. But he was so desperate because these Muslim invaders had taken so much of the Byzantine Empire at this point and they were getting closer to Constantinople. He's like, I don't know what to do. Let's call for help. We got to try something. And so he called the West for help. Yep. And that's how the First Crusade got launched. Now, were the Crusaders perfect? No, it was. No it's way. actually kind of comical sometimes reading what the Crusaders did and how ridiculous they are, especially with the Empire of Edessa. That's a whole yeah. crazy story right there. But this idea that it was it was just sort of like evil Christians reading their Bible and realizing they should get Jerusalem for themselves—that's absurd. Yeah. I mean, you, once you understand what the historians talk about this time period and everything, it's a lot more complicated. It's more socioeconomical. It involves more cultural aspects. It, it's much more complicated. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's far more complicated. You have you have tons of nationalism, nationalistic things in there, tons of government influence, tons of power. The the religious uh, influence that was there was almost definitionally um, extrinsic religiosity. For anyone who's watched your debate, they'll know what that was. Uh, very right. very little on the intrinsic religiosity. Even though even those people might have been intrinsically religious, the reasons that they gave for it were very extrinsic. Um, uh, it, it's just it's this it's this whole hodgepodge. But for him, well, Christianity caused it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it it doesn't matter what religion, what the, those areas were. It could have been Islam invading. Let's imagine we were all Hindu. If that type of thing happened, let's imagine we were all atheists. They would have responded. Um, it, right. Right. I, it, I like to, I like to tell people like if you study the Canaanite culture that Joshua was invading. And you study the child sacrifice, the fact that they would invade these small towns and villages, kill the men, rape the, the women, then take the young girls and women back to be forced into temple prostitution. You 
any atheist would have picked up a sword if they were in a time machine, and they would have joined Joshua in his conquest. Right. These were not good people. Let's be clear about that. And so unless there's a Bible verse somewhere where it says Jerusalem is belongs to the Christians, keep it with a sword, kill anyone who takes it from you, you can't claim Christianity caused that. This is a correlation, not a causation. No one wants to talk about St. Francis of Assisi, who went along with the Crusades and pleaded with the Crusaders to drop their swords and join him to become a monk. Right. Okay, again, why, why is that context never cited? Right. And and what's funny is you know, no no one ever talks about the you know the the Sermon on the Mount when they're talking about things. No one ever talks about how the the Christian ethic is is to love is to love your neighbor as yourself and to even love your enemy, uh, basically as yourself. Right. So the, those those are the controlling ethic that you are that you are to be servants to each other, that you are to serve one another, that you are to be in subordination to the powers. Right. All these kinds of things. Aaron even says, look, yeah, of course Christianity is is just fine when it's meek and mild, but the instant it gets power. But for some reason, he doesn't connect the dots. Oh, well, the problem isn't Christianity then. The problem is, is that when people get power, whatever ideology they have, whatever extrinsic benefit comes of it, that ideology becomes the whipping boy of political power. And this happens no matter what the, the system is. This happens with atheism. And he hates this. He says, oh, you know, uh, you know, Soviet Union, that, that wasn't atheism. That was totalitarianism. <laughs> no, I'm exactly. sorry. It, it might have been totalitarianism. It might have been absolute power, you know, unchecked, unchecked power. But if you actually read the documentation from from atheism, if from from from, you know, Stalinist and Leninist, um, uh, the Soviet Union, they're expressly affirming atheism as the state ideology. They're public publishing books on it for the express purpose of indoctrination into atheism. I have a bunch of quotes I'll put in the show notes. You, you have you know, you have Hoxha's Albania in Albania, in their constitution. Uh, the Constitution of Albania explicitly states um, that that they are atheists. It, Article thirty-seven of the nineteen seventy-six Constitution. This is this is after you know the fascist government has taken over. It, it's it's wiped out churches. It's killed people. Article thirty-seven says the state recognizes no religion whatever and supports atheistic propaganda for the purpose of inculcating the scientific materialistic worldview. That's in right. the Constitution. And, <laughs> it's, it, and, even if you, and even if you don't want to use that, just go to the Jacobin Revolution in France. They were strictly atheistic, and they weren't communist. They, they, they changed the, 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 uh, the Cathedral of Notre Dame to the Temple of Reason. It, it, gee, if you go look at all these atheist channels, it's all about the, the I'm this reasonable thinker, or I'm rationality rules, or I'm the rationality channel. It's like they were the same with the Jacobins. They were they tried to replace religion with their worship of reason. Right. Now, I would never say atheism necessarily caused that. The evil people in power used whatever ideology they had right. as an excuse to control the masses or to to push their propaganda. Why can't it be the same when people use Christianity in the wrong way? Right. Yeah. I mean, I've I've done an experiment a couple of times in some of the different you know atheist theist groups I'm in, and I've I've asked. I said, okay, you know, atheists only. If you were king of America, and you could change the law with regard to religion, what would you change? It is it, it is downright frightening the things that they right. would change. Um, you know, you 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 have it's cr- it'd be criminal for parents to raise uh, their parents or raise their children in a in a religious environment. Guess what? Stalinist Russia did that. You, you would go right. to the gulag for 10 years, potentially up to 10 years, if you taught your child the Lord's Prayer. Right. They, I mean, they, they, they talked about uh, that you, you wouldn't be allowed to have prayer in public places, um, that you wouldn't be able to have any type of institutional religion. If you were religious, you weren't allowed to vote. Uh, go in any of these discussion groups, ask that question. The answers are horrifying. But do we then atheists tell me that Christianity outlawed? Yeah. Flat out, I, I've heard very similar things. But do we go to R and say, "Look, therefore, your atheism, your secularism, is dangerous"? <laughs> exactly, and that's one of the things I said to him towards the end of my cross examination. I said, I gave him a hypothetical. Let's say some humanist 
in 20 years uses this debate yep. to to justify his killing. Would that mean just because you're telling everyone Christianity is dangerous and he is this this hypothetical humanist going around, well, if Christianity is dangerous, I should kill them all before they kill us. What would that mean your words tonight caused him? And he didn't answer. He changed it immediately. He just said, well, I never advocated violence. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying that. That's supporting my hypothetical. Just because you're saying stuff tonight, that doesn't mean you've caused someone else to do horrible things. Right. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that I that I typically point out is that, you know, they, they love that line. Well, atheism isn't a belief system, right? There's no dogma. There's no doctrine. Right. We literally can't affirm anything. Great. That means when an atheist is, is recommending these things, is, is, is doing these terrible things with Stalinist Russia, is, is outlawing religion when when, you know, Hoxha's Albania is literally by force making people change their name because they're too religious. You have nothing in atheism that contradicts that. Right. Whereas in Christianity, I can mm-hmm. look at anyone who's going out there and advocating the slaughter of people, the slaughter of people who disagree. I can look at them and say all of that violates the Sermon on the Mount, which is the disciples ethic. Exactly. And they don't when you tell them that they don't really know how to respond. Right. Because because and this is what he and, and I, don't, I don't know if you know that who his wife was when she was asking you questions. But because. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they think that if it. Because the Bible says that there's hell and God will be judgmental, that that is mean and cruel and violent and evil, right? And, and they totally miss, they, they miss the symbolism of it. They miss the, they miss the, the, the creator-creature distinction where, where uh, you know, God has the right to judge. I don't. I'm supposed to preach the gospel to people and love them. Do I affirm them in their sin? No. But does that mean that I go out there and tell them that they should be, like, whipped and stoned and, and burned and killed? No. Because that would be a violation right. of the Christian ethic. Right. And her and I had a great conversation after the debate about hell. So I, I actually really enjoyed that. And I think she's a great person as well. But, yeah, it was – I was trying to explain to her, like, you know, hell is not a torture chamber God is throwing people into. It's exile. Right. It, God has exiled people into their own pride, into their own self-desire. And, you know, if they wanted out, God would get them out. But because they've rejected him, they're not going to. Yeah. It's, it's not Dante's Inferno. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so so let, let's move on. So he thinks that he thinks that that, that Christianity, um, besides his, you know, his question begging, inf- you know, definition of faith, because besides his uh, <laughs> I laughed and I, and I sent you this message that that during the cross examination, some moderation would have been nice because his, <laughs> his question and answer was basically five minutes of, of saying your your position is stupid. And then his question was and you would be like, is there a question in there? And then his question was, well. <laughs> If that, you know, if we assume that your view is stupid, then how is it not wrong for you to be stupid? <laughs> uh, that was that was <laughs> literally almost every single one of his questions. It was it was kind of humorous. But you, you during the question and answer, you all started getting on some 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 specific topics. Um, and one of those was this fun claim because he didn't have a lot of studies. You had a, a, a plethora of studies and meta analyses and and all kinds of stuff, which was funny because he never once. <laughs> Uh, he found lots of reasons to say why he, he didn't he couldn't bring up his studies and why he didn't know about yours and all this kind of stuff. But he never was he never was like, oh, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of scientific data about this. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, right. That, that never came up. Well, I actually I have a funny story about this. Actually, I'll tell you what happened after I, I said at the end of my talk, I have brought this stack in the book. Galileo goes to jail and other myths for Aaron to take home and read because he has said numerous times if you give him new data. He'll take it, and he'll adjust his views. He said this when he's been dealing with young earth creationists, flat earthers, anyone. Right. I've heard him say this multiple times. So I thought, okay, let's put this to the test. I'll bring the studies. I'll bring a book for him. Maybe he'll take it. At the end of the debate, that stack was still on the table. Yeah. So I picked it up, and I walked away, and the guy that drove me there, his name is Matthew, he said, Aaron didn't take the stack. I go, no. He goes, let me go try to give it to him. I'm like, Sure. So he walked over there to Arn talking to a couple other atheists that were fans of his, and he said, Michael wanted you to have this stack. And Arn kind of made some excuse from what I heard is that, oh, no, I think he just brought it to make a point. And Matt went, no, no, he brought it so you could take home and read it. So then Arn said, sure, I'll take it. And he set it down on the table, I, and I was watching this whole thing going on from the other side of the, of the, uh, the, uh, the bar. And about 15 minutes later, he got up and he left, and the stack was still there. Right. And I got it. I walked over there. After all the atheists had left, I picked up the stack. I brought it home with me. So I have the stack. 
And so he did not want the data. Right. Now, maybe he forgot a second time. If you forget once, I go, okay, he forgot it. But you forget twice when someone literally hands it to you and says, Michael wanted you to have it. I'm a little skeptical he just forgot it. Right. I, think he th- I think he didn't want to actually read the studies. I don't think he wanted to take it home. Right. I, I had a very similar experience, not where we persisted in giving it to him, but I brought a two-page uh, bibliography of, of all of the peer-reviewed and scholarly literature on the history of the interactions between science uh, and Christianity, uh, and he, uh, he did not take one. <laughs> Um, so, oh, I'm, so I'm with you. Go figure. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because I was actually I actually thought he would at least take it. Would he read it? Maybe not. But I thought he would at least be courteous and take it. He didn't even do that. Right. Yeah, well, you know, you you were at Bible and beer. Maybe he had a couple too many beers. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, maybe 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 reach out and offer to mail it to him and see and see what happens. Well, I um on, on the Bible and beer uh, consortium, I put my entire bibliography. It's three pages long. It's every study. I cited in there. Yeah, it's three pages long. It's in the descript- video description on their YouTube channel. So if he ever wants the data, it's right there. If right. he ever emails me, I have a lot of the PDFs. I could send it to him right now. Right. I doubt that will ever happen. I would put money. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I want to be proven wrong, but something in the back of my head says Arn will never reach out and want those studies. Right. So speaking of studies, he mentioned this uh, this fact claimed fact that you I, I think when I was listening to it uh, instantly caught my attention I know after speaking with you it caught your attention which was this claim and, I, and I'm glad I heard him wrong the first time because when I first heard him th- this is the claim that 20 to 40 percent of homeless youth are LGBTQ uh, and are kicked out and abandoned by their parents right I originally right. heard him say that it was 20 to 40 percent of homeless I the the youth kept dropping and I listened to him again and it, it it did kind of keep dropping when he was saying it, but he was, I, I, his mouth was saying it. I, I saw him say it. So 20 to 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ. Uh, and, and that the, the majority reason or the, or the, you know, is that um, their, their religious parents rejected them. Right. Um, the mm-hmm. closest thing that I can find to supporting that um, is, is this study. Uh, it, it's not even a study. I shouldn't even put study. It's a survey. Uh, put out by by DeRusso and Gates uh, at the UCLA School of Law. Um, and what the survey was, was the survey, uh, it didn't it didn't actually, it wasn't an intensive survey. It didn't actually do, you know, home visitations. It didn't actually even talk to homeless youths themselves. What it did was it surveyed something like uh, uh, 381 respondents, it said, uh, I think they surveyed something like 900 places. 300, 381 responded uh, the, uh, uh, of organizations that worked with at-risk youth. And it asked them about their, their, the sexuality of those at-risk youth. And something like um, a, an average of like 20 to 40%, depending on the type of program, whether it was you know, drop-in or street outreach or, or housing programs or whatever it was, um, identified as somewhere on the spectrum of LGBTQ, right? And then they asked the reason they they asked the 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 organizations the reasons for why these youth uh, identified uh, or, or or said that they that they were now um, they were now at risk they were they were you know homeless or transitional or something like that and and I think it was the second reason um, was was forced out by their parents uh, because of of uh, their sexual orientation uh, or they ran away because of family rejection of sexual orientation right I know you and I have talked about this. There are so many problems with pointing <laughs> to this, this, this survey as any type of, of um, I, I don't want to say it's not helpful information because I'm sure it's helpful information, but you can't point to it as some type of objective fact that therefore Christianity is dangerous because it's an absolute fact that the cause for this is family rejection because they are LGBTQ only. Right. It, it's, it's not that reliable in terms of getting to the root causes of these things. These people need to be brought in. They would need to take, take a religious orientation scale or other types of similar testing. Uh, they would need to be interviewed. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of very rigorous testing that goes into these types of things when you get into the data. But this is this is not the type of research you would use for this. He also cited another paper in his talk called he didn't he didn't give the title of the paper, but I knew it because I had already looked it up prior. It's called Relig- religious affiliations among 
adult sexual offenders. And in his talk towards the end, he cited the fact that in this study shows that people in prison that have committed sexual offenses are more likely to be lifelong religious people. The problem <laughs> is it's a self-reported study. So these people just went to prisons and just took the prisoner's word for it. And they only interviewed 111 incarcerated adult male sexual offenders. That's not reliable data. Right. That uh, There are so many problems with self-reported measures, and that's why the meta-analysis I relied on didn't focus just on self-reported. That was a small factor in the whole thing. Right. And it, he ignored actual data. For example, there's a study called Religiosity Reduces Sexual Aggression and Coercion in Longitudinal Coherent of College Men, Mediates Roles of Peer Norms, Promiscuity, and Pornography. So actual studies that look at the effects of religiosity show that religiosity reduces sexual aggression. It doesn't cause it. So all he does is he finds one random study or one random survey, as you mentioned, and he goes, see, look at all the problems religion causes. No, that's correlation. You actually have to show data that shows causation. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, with the, with the homeless youth, right, you, you have so many problems because it, it's actually an indirect survey. It's not even of the youth. It's of the, of the youth right. workers trying to remember. And it's of, uh, it's of self-perception, right? So you, you have this – you have a victimized group, uh, you know, quote-unquote victimized group. Um, and, and what they're perceiving as the cause, uh, and then it's secondhand through, uh, the, 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 the social organizations that work with these youth, but it doesn't give any of the other compounding factors. So you can look at other studies like the one by, uh, Whitbeck, Chen, Hoyt, Tyler, and Johnson, um, which comes out and it deals with mental disorder, substance abuse, and victimization among gay, lesbian, and bisexual, homeless, runaway, and adolescents. And it deals with... Uh, you're, you're, you're dealing with a population that is highly addicted, um, that, that, mm-hmm. is, that has high rates of, uh, of, of mental disorder um, already without even going into the LGBTQ issues. Um, once you get into LGBTQ issues, you have, you have other issues dealing with things like sexual abuse, molestation, uh, and, and, and violence and other things that happen, not always at the hands of their parents, but at teachers and friends and uh, other family members and so on and so forth. You're dealing with this whole cluster of causes, um, and then you and then you try to engage in this tiny little study of three hundred something organizations with secondhand knowledge of self perceived reasons. Anyone who's worked with yeah. at risk youth knows that so often the parents have tried and 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 tried, and tried, and tried. Uh, but but the, the the homeless youth is ardently against. Uh, going going home, uh, no matter how helpful the parents are. Right, and you brought up a really good point there. You talked about these multivariate facets, like these different uh, problems that could be involved. It, so in studies, they talk about multivariate analysis versus a univariate analysis. Right. One of the studies Aaron brought up was that not as even a study. It's a paper written by a guy named Gregory Paul, who's not a social scientist. He's a paleontologist. But what he did is he just looked at cross- he looked at different European nations, and he just said, let me just look at one factor, their religiosity versus random effects. So in this country, they have low crime, but they have low religion. Therefore, I'm going to imply causation here, and that's a horrible way to do research. Right. That wouldn't be accepted among social scientists, and it really isn't for the most part. I don't see it being showed up in a lot of the papers I've read. But as you noted, there's usually multiple factors going into these types of things, and you just can't look at one factor and assume that's it. For example, the World Health Organization recently reported that skepticism of vaccines is rising in Europe. But that's as Europe is becoming lower in their religiosity. That does not mean losing religion causes skepticism in vaccines. But Aaron uses the exact same type of reasoning. He just says, I found a correlation with religiosity. Therefore, Christianity is dangerous. How does how how can anyone take him serious when he says something like that? Right. I love you know I don't know if you remember but back back in when you know the new atheists were big, the new atheists were huge on just I mean you would hear correlation isn't causation correlation isn't causation cor- right it, it was like a meme among the new atheists and now I don't hear it anymore and I hear this type of argument so often. Um, well, the funny thing is, is that I debated Matt Dillhunty last year on the Non Sequitur Show on this very same topic. Matt brought up the exact same paper by Gregory Paul. I showed him all the problems with it, and he just he didn't bring it up again the rest of the time. For some reason, Aaron didn't get the message over the whole year, and he's he still used it. I was shocked right. when I heard him bring it up in his talk. I was like, 
did you not research me prior to this debate? I watched so many of your videos in prep for this. Did you? How did you not watch my debate with Matt Dillhunty? Like right. that would have given you that would have given him a lot of my arguments ahead of time. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he. I don't think he does that. And maybe it'll become a thing in his debate prep. But he. He literally didn't. So we had agreed to debate probably I don't know five months, six months before. Um, he had tons of tons of times to, to look up to look up my arguments and, 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 and where I'd go and about me and my views. You know, I'm not I'm not a young earth creationist, I'm not a fundamentalist, right? All all that kind of stuff. He he literally in his talk was like, you know, I I don't know who Tyler is. I haven't looked up any of his stuff. And I would be like, You have six months do you know who your debate partner is? You know, dude right. look up some hopefully it'll become part of his debate prep so you have a little bit more substantive debates with people. But uh, but right. Actually, now that I think about it, I, Aaron did say something to me very interesting after the debate. He thought I was someone else up until a week prior to the debate. He thought I was someone named Dr. Michael Jones of New Covenant Theology. So he may have been researching the wrong guy up to there. So to be fair, maybe he just didn't have enough time to research me because he thought I was somebody else. Yeah, but I, I, I got to guess the communication was, you know, <laughs> you know Michael from Inspiring Philosophy. Uh Anyways. I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, to, and also to be fair, I had a guy named Joshua Curtis who was, you know, sort of like egging R and on back in like February to agree to this debate with me. So I was surprised that he didn't know it was me because I, I this has been we've been talking about this since like December. Right. Right. Okay. So so another thing came up: pedophile priests. Right. We we, <laughs> we all we all know that the Catholic Church, uh, and this was a questioner. Aaron didn't bring this up, but we all know the Catholic Church. Uh, covered for for pedophile priests, and Aaron was was all was all hot under the collar about this, as he should be. Pedophile priests are are a terrible thing. This is a blight on on Roman Catholicism. I agree, um, but their their argument seemed to be that because Christianity says that the church is of such a good um, that people for for th- th- they draw a straight line that therefore people think they need to protect it. Therefore, they they protect the pedophile priests. Therefore, Christianity is evil. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a horrible argument. Why? And I didn't yeah, brought it why, up. Why is that a horrible argument? So, so walk us through. Why is that such a bad argument? Because the Bible never says the church is this highest good that needs to be protected at all costs. It says to love thy neighbor, to take care of the widows and the orphans, to protect that that you know you need to protect the least of these. It doesn't say I have established this very special organization called the church. It needs to be protected at all costs, no matter what happens. It needs to be protected above all things. Just read the Bible. So the guy that brought up the question, he was talking to me after, and I, I it anyways because he kept jumping in, jumping in. But I was trying to explain to him that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say protect priests at all costs. It doesn't say protect the church at all costs. Where are you getting this from? Right. Yeah, over and over and over again, the the Bible throws priests under the bus. You know, it it's almost a rare exception that a priest is a good guy in the Bible. Right, that's true. <laughs> I mean, especially if you read Judges. Yeah, I mean, it was just over and over and over again. Being a priest is is, is not is not actually a good thing as as it, as it should have been. I mean, I mean, Paul Paul, we have an entire book where Paul uh, openly and publicly criticizes Peter just because Peter was engaging in in racial discrimination effectively he, he was basically saying look i'm, I'm going to go back and i'm going to sit with the jews only and, and and not and not actually with the gentiles anymore and paul was like hey you're living at discord you're out of cord with the principles of the gospel stop doing that exactly and no i, I don't know where people get these ideas it's see that question was so odd when i heard it i was like just taken back like where are i kept thinking in my in my head like where are you getting this from? This is not anywhere in the Bible. Like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, if you're going to attack Christianity, at least attack something Christianity says, right. not something you've made up. Never once does the Bible say, protect the church at all costs. It's the highest good. Right. Yeah. And he, and, and, and uh, some there are some other issues going on with that. They, they weren't always protecting the priests because the church was the highest good. They <clears throat> there, you know, the quote that Aaron gave about that it would cost the church billions. Uh, the 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 church might have been hiding these just because it didn't want to spend billions of dollars. Uh, although we wish it just would have stepped up and done the right thing to begin with. Um, but mm-hmm. but it just it doesn't it just doesn't follow that because even if I think something is of such a high good, it doesn't mandate how I'm to, to protect it. Right. So so I might think that protecting my family is of a high moral good. 
right? But that doesn't mean that therefore protecting my family means that I cover for my child if he murders someone. Exactly. Right? It doesn't mandate the, the ethic of protection. It doesn't tell me that I have to cover for it, even if it means letting horrific things go by uh, and, and, and horrific things to the innocent. Right. I mean, and, one, of our, one of our biggest callings is to protect orphans and widows and the powerless and the oppressed. Exactly. And maybe even in, in your example, protecting your son, it's more important to protect his soul. Mm-hmm. Have him go to prison, pay restitution to society so he learns why that was bad. Yeah. You know, and the same thing with the priest. It probably would have been better if they just would have went to prison because then they could have been away. They would have been protected from the boys they were abusing because they would have been behind bars. Right. And that might have been better for their souls. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so another, another uh, <clears throat> new atheist meme comes up. Uh, the no true Scotsman fallacy. Oh God! Right. This is their this is this is their trump card. When they run out of arguments, they just use this. Yeah. Or the you know I'm surprised the flying spaghetti monster didn't come up. Uh, so no true Scotsman, right? Aren't aren't you saying? And this came up in the context of of when you were defending. Look, we need to have proper hermeneutics. We need to read the Bible property. And they're saying, oh well, you know that that just the Bible can mean anything to anyone, as if as if any reading of the Bible is equally good or valid or reasonable. But besides that, they're saying they're, they're trying to say, look, you're trying to say that if someone doesn't read the Bible like you, that they're not a, they're not a real Christian. That's a no true Scotsman, right? What, what, yeah, what's that, wrong with that? <laughs> well, first of all, that's not really what I said. Right. Well, what I was talking about is if, if they don't hold to the core doctrines, they're not a Christian, and that should be obvious. I was talking to someone after, and I won't say who it was, but I said to her, I said, if there was a humanist running around killing Jews— and they said, well, I'm still a humanist because – and I'm, it's okay to kill Jews because Jews are humans. You would go, and I said, are they really a humanist? And she said, no, obviously not. And I go, yeah, exactly, because they don't hold to the core doctrines of how you define humanism. Why can't we use the same logic with Christianity? If someone is running around preaching against love thy neighbor and preaching that we should murder gays, I have every right to say they're not a true Christian because they're rejecting core doctrines of Christianity for the same reason you would do it with humanism. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we can draw disambiguations. We can draw distinctions when there are substantival, when there are, when there are definitional differences between things. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if we, if we have a, if we have someone who claims to be a Christian, um, but denies that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, for example, and that he taught the, you know, the kingdom ethic in, in the Sermon on the Mount to us, that we can go around to your point, that we can go around just running and murdering our enemies. That person is not a true Christian. They are denying the fundamental ethic of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I don't know why this is so hard for some atheists, because they have gone on. I have seen them. I've seen Matt Tillhunty do this. Talk about how this person's not really a humanist because they did a bad thing, and humanism doesn't teach that. Right. Okay, please just apply the same logic to other people. Stop having tunnel vision. If you would accept that same logic for humanism, why can't you accept it with other beliefs like Christianity? Right. Absolutely. This shouldn't be hard. It, it really shouldn't be. But then, but then, you know, they wouldn't have so much axe to grind, I guess. You know, I, I was talking to my father, and my father doesn't understand a lot of philosophy like you know he he he'll tell me like you know i didn't understand what you were talking about in that debate or something like he'll just he'll flat out tell me if i was like yeah. if i was talking too fast he, he he'll he'll tell me if i did something bad and he just he said something that is very interesting he said you know a lot of the atheists you've debated recently are rarely angry and he, i don't understand why they're so angry if they don't even think god exists what are they angry about and it's like it, it, it's true. Like I debated David Sm- or uh, David Fitzgerald recently, and debated a guy named Tom Jump recently. And it just a lot of them are just very, very. Get, they could get very emotional easily, and if you look, they could get very angry easily. As you could look at Eric Hermenez's exchange with uh, Aaron Rowe in the recent debate. It's, it's a lot of them can get quite emotional. Right. Yeah. That was a that was a that was a rather interesting moment. Um, where where he really really he, he really blew up and you can you could tell he was not a fan of, of being challenged in that way and he's he you know he, it's it's exasperation it's frustration um, but it's you know the, it's the you can't prove me wrong I win um, yeah and that, there, there's another problem with that right there I, I, when Aaron said that stuff it was very telling 
Yeah. First of all, this is not a competition. If you say I win in that kind of stuff, in that kind of setting, you're more or less saying I don't really care about truth. I just want to be right. That's kind of what – that's the kind of vibe I got from that. Right. I could be wrong, but that's kind of how I got from it. And the other thing he said is that you know, you know, you can't – he can't prove God exists. I'm like, how do you know? We've never had that conversation. I said in my – and when he was cross-examining me, look, James from Modern Day Debate is here. If you want to set that debate up, I am more than willing to. And his response is I don't want to set up a debate that promotes Christianity. Fine, whatever. Do you do you? Right, right. Well, yeah, and, and there's so many problems with his with his idea of what counts as as evidence, and it, it's it's really just kind of a. a I, I, I almost I, when <laughs> when you were on his show, I almost beat my head against the wall because he just kept reverting back to the same thing you already debunked. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> he he hates that that you, that you call him a you know it's scientism, it's logical positivism. But it is, he, you know, he, he says he, he reads, you know, he reads all the philosophy of science and it's all on his side. And I want to be like, I, I've read a ton of philosophy of science. And if you think that it's all on your side, then you're all you're doing is telling anyone who has read it that you haven't. Um, exactly. And, you know, I, a great book for anyone who wants to read a philosophy of science is For and Against Method yes. by Emery Lakatos and Paul Firebend. Yep. Amazing book. It's it's a lot of it is uh, Emery responding to a lot of Paul's Paul Firebender, his arguments and everything. Great book. Really spells out philosophy of science well. I, I, I don't think, I mean, from listening to Aaron, unfortunately, I don't think he's read that book or is aware of it. It's, it's quite unfortunate because it's a great book. But if you're going to talk about philosophy of science with, like, you or me, bring it. I am more than willing to go into that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think when he says that he's read philosophy of science, what he means is that he's, he's read other, you know, science pundits like himself. I don't think he's actually read, you know, the Nagels and the Pigliucci's and the Ruses. And, and, and so I, I, I just I really don't. If he did, he didn't understand them um, because anyone reading on, on these issues, uh, no one will get away with being uh, as wildly dogmatic as, as he is on these issues and not clearly see the problem uh, of, of, of some of those 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 special pleading um, uh uh, standards that he gives where, where evidence has to be empirically scientific verifiable evidence in that way uh, pretty much every he, philosophy of science allows for abduction for example well he he contradicts himself because he says he's a rationalist then so he understands that it doesn't all have to be empirical so I was like, i'm like wait, wait what I, I was like, yeah. If, yeah. if you're a rationalist you should know it doesn't all have to be empirical scientific verifiable evidence and even if that was true he would throw out all of the he would throw out all of theoretical physics right which is in science, but it has nothing to do with empirical evidence. Right. That's why I kept bringing up the multiverse uh, over and over. Exactly. You, you, quant, quantum mechanics. You, the, you know, you you would you you basically for quantum mechanics, you would have to deny quantum mechanics because you have what is it like ten different uh, equally plausible interpretation of quantum mechanics. Uh, they all. They I mean, all, I wouldn't say they're. <laughs> well, but they, I wouldn't but say they're they equally all, plausible. They exp- but. but they all explain the data. Um, right. Right. So you 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 with, without without really being ad hoc, they all explain the data. Um, so you would well, have to, I wouldn't say have to that. throw the, that all out. Um, I mean, there's, there's 11 different interpretations. and Some of them can be ad hoc. Even some of the founders had had to admit that in some degrees. But they all have explanatory scope and they all have explanatory power. The question then becomes, which is the most plausible and which is the least ad hoc? So right then and there, we're doing stuff. That would be beyond his acceptance of what it, it could constitute as evidence. Right. We're talking about parsimony. We're talking about plausibility. These are different criteria that we're using now. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that when he says he's a rationalist, I don't think he means it in the technical sense. I think he means that he's rational, uh, and that he because he uses reason and 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 evidence. I don't think he means he's a rationalist in in the the philosophically technical sense. I could be wrong. Um, if he means in the technical sense, you're absolutely right that he's being inconsistent. I just don't think he's that trained. <laughs> I mean, I would love to talk with him on philosophy of science uh, because it's when you when you get into Emery Lakatos progressive and degenerative research programs, it it just completely throws a lot of the stuff he says out the window. Right. Right. Good. Um, okay. So 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 through most of it. Um, one of the last things that I want to talk about was someone at the end asked him what I thought was a really poignant question was basically whether or not he agreed with Richard Dawkins that you should mock and ridicule religious people. Um, and he said he, he effectively said no. 
Um, but you should mock religion, right? He, he's fine mocking religion, just not religious people. And that struck me, and I, and I wanted to see what you thought about the, what you thought about this statement. It struck me as the atheistic version, kind of the, 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 the atheistic fundamentalist you know, uh, uh, version of uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. <laughs> that might be a good way to put it. <laughs> which which yeah, they, I, I, they absolutely hate. If I say, look, I think, I think that homosexual behavior is a sin. But I'm going to love my homosexual neighbor as much as I possibly can. I'm going to I'm going to have dinner with them. I'm going to hang out with them. You know, if 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 one if they're in a homosexual relationship, marriage, whatever it is, one of them is dying from cancer. You better believe I'm going to bring them food. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to absolutely love the person. I'm going to hate the sin. I'm if, if, if they ask me my view of it, I'm going to tell them. But that doesn't mean that, I, that I'm going to stop loving that person. But for them, that's bigoted. Right, because I'm not accepting right. the person for who they are. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because they do the same thing with religion. That's I'm going to mock your religion, but I'm not going to hate the religious person. Right. Okay, yeah, once again, apply your own standard to Christians. How many times do we have to keep asking them to apply their own standard to us? Right. Right. Which <laughs> which is which you know, and it goes further because what's so funny is he thinks that he he they think that belief is, is, is not a choice, right? Because they say, they say, look, I can't choose. I'm going to be judged for something I can't choose. I can't choose to believe in God when I don't believe it, right? Well, do they extend that to the, mm-hmm. to the Christian? The, I, I can't choose to be an atheist, right? I, I, I'm, an, I'm an involuntarist, right? I don't think we choose our beliefs. Uh, so, so I can't choose my belief in God, right? I, I, can't, I don't choose what I'm convinced by. Right. Hopefully mm-hmm. my, my reason and my plausibility structures are working such that I'm convinced by reasonable, <laughs> reasonable things, hopefully, but I don't choose it. Right. So so my religious belief is just as non-choice driven as someone's sexual orientation, because my will is not deciding to do this thing. But they're saying, look, I'm going to mock you for it. Right. Why? Yeah. Why, it doesn't, why is that okay? doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it just seems like they jump between determinism and libertarianism all the time. Is that we can freely choose our beliefs, but we're also determined. And they'll use libertarianism or determinism depending on what subject they're in. It, I, I, sometimes my, I'm just baffled by the reasoning here. And it's like, you wonder why I'm a Christian when this is the type of arguments you use. Like, it's like, right. it's like yeah. I don't know what to say here. Yeah, I, I normally say that if, the, if they had better arguments, they'd use them. Um, but, but the, you know, this is, this is, this is the best it goes. Uh, um, well, well, thank you. Uh, I, I didn't have any other, any other set questions. Uh, I don't know if you had any other thoughts about, um, the, the debate, uh, his, his arguments. Any, did you, no, have any, I mean, did you have any arguments that, that you wanted to get across, but you couldn't, you couldn't get across? Oh, I mean, I had a whole bunch. I mean, but a lot of the arguments I had were preemptive. Like right. if he brings up this ridiculous study that was done a couple years ago on uh, altruism in children i already had something to rebut that i found someone who tried to replicate those results and they failed if he tried to bring up this study on racism that was cited on the jezebel website i actually read the study and i know what it says i was going to be ready to address that i was kind of disappointed that he didn't bring up more data for me to address the the talk someone okay this was this is kind of interesting an atheist messaged me and said watching your debate was kind of weird because it looked like a preacher versus a scientist but in reverse (laughs) Aaron got up and gave a fiery sermon an atheist sermon about you know citing the washington times and how religion is harmful and then you just got up there and you just cited what the data says it's just like he the he he used the term twilight zone or the phrase twilight zone he felt like he fell into the a backwards universe where Christians were using science and atheists were preachers, and that's that's that kind of captures how I felt after the debate, yep. or at least after his, his thirty minutes, because he ended his thirty minutes and I felt pretty confident that I was going to be able to uh, handle this because I knew what the data said, and just citing a bunch of random examples from your experience is not an argument that Christianity is dangerous. You got to cite data. Right. It's not like social scientists or psychologists. Or, or, or sitting around twiddling their thumbs, not knowing how to study this stuff. They have studied the same th- questions that Aaron is asking 
quite extensively. Right. So just dive into the data. And this is why I brought up in my cross-examination one of the attacks he brought on Ken Hovind where he asked Ken Hovind, like, or he said to Ken Hovind, like, you have no excuse for not knowing these things at this point. Likewise, Aaron, you have no excuse for not knowing a lot of this, these things at this point. You've been saying Christianity and religion are dangerous for decades now. How come you are not familiar with the data on this? How come you're not familiar with some of the meta-analysis I, I cited? I purposely cited studies that have been around for decades on purpose just so he couldn't use the excuse, well, those are new. I haven't had time to read them yet. No, you have. I've cited studies from like the early 2000s or the 90s. So you've had plenty of time to look this up. Right. Yeah, I, that, I, I think it was a it was a brilliant debate. I think you did a, a fantastic job um, that it's funny I, I, that that atheist, their, their way of putting it is is that's absolutely right. That that really is what it felt like um, in in it, Well, <laughs> in kind of a crass way of what it means to go against a preacher, hopefully uh, preachers are, are, are better than that. Um, but that, that, that really was, that, that was an apt way to describe it. So, um, well, thank you so much for coming on, uh, giving some recap, um, some, some extra thoughts on that. Appreciate that. Um, if, if, uh, again, you have a, you have a pretty wildly popular, uh, channel with some great videos, but if people want to find you and uh, live under, live, you know, live under a rock and don't know how to, uh, how, how would my audience find you? Right, so it's just Inspiring Philosophy, uh, youtube.com slash inspiringphilosophy, inspiringphilosophy.org. Uh, I'm barely on Twitter. I apologize for that, but I'm on Facebook more, so facebook.com slash inspiringphilosophy. And if anyone of my followers are listening, check out Tyler's debate with Aaron Raw on science and Christianity. That was a phenomenal debate. I enjoyed that. I was laughing sometimes at some of, your, at, at some of the points you got on him phenomenal job i really enjoyed that debate well thank you i appreciate that i appreciate it so all right well hopefully we'll have you back on sometime i from from uh from everything i know um from you and your videos i've watched i've, I've appreciated your work and i think you and i have uh some some uh some interesting areas where we agree on things like uh you know the genesis one and things like that and then uh some other areas where i think that, that you and i might have some interesting uh disagreements as well theologically so uh definitely uh, look forward to your continued work and thank you again for coming on yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you again for joining me again on this episode of the Freed Thinker podcast. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, please feel free to head on over to the Freed Thinker podcast.blogspot.com. Email me at freedthinkerpodcast at gmail.com or find the Freed Thinker group page on Facebook. A bunch of those sources, a bunch of those quotes I'm going to put in the uh, Freed Thinker blog page. I'm going to deal with, I'm going to put up some of the, the uh, peer-reviewed literature dealing with uh, Stalinist Russia, Albania, uh, Hoxha's Albania, and other things like that. Uh, so uh, follow there for some great information. Uh, join us again next time for some more great content. Good night and God bless.